happening. Um, my name is Buddy Lyles. It's my privilege to serve as one of the pastors here. I just want to greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as well. Uh, this is a great day um, uh, as a church to be together, um, to witness baptism. So awesome to celebrate um, with these two families, uh, as well as later this afternoon, we will get to be together uh, again as the family uh, of Allen Bible and family and friends of Allen Bible as we will be uh, at our church picnic. In fact, you can throw up the first two slides there from my sermon slides, Connor, there. Today is the day, 4.30 at Ford Park. Uh, if you know Ford Middle School, uh, it's right behind it, kind of on the swim, not kind of, on the swimming pool side. Uh, that's where we'll gather. This is a bring-your-own picnic. Um, sometimes we have it catered. Sometimes we do it this way. This is kind of the lower maintenance way of just you get what you want to get and bring it, bring food and drink. Um, and as well as bring basketballs, footballs, frisbees, bocce ball, whatever you want to bring. Uh, they do a basketball course. They have tennis courts. Um, and we just want to hang out. We want to linger. Uh, we've said this a lot. Um, our world drives us toward isolation. Uh, and we want to, and especially through our digital world, we want to log more analog. And this is a way for us to log analog. Just be together face-to-face and hang out. We're not very good at that anymore in our world, so we want to become those who really regain that skill, regain that joy that God has given us to design. Part of that joy, the next slide, is we will give you the opportunity to do this. Um, we're still going to work on how this is going to happen, but uh, myself and Mike uh, and Jacob, as well as some of your student leaders, if you're a middle schooler uh, or high schooler, if you're a 56er, um, just Mike. I don't think we're going to require Meredith or my wife to do this because I would like to be let back in the home later tonight. <clears throat> um, but bring it on. All right. So we're going to give that opportunity. It won't be everybody won't get the chance. We're going to give you some of the chance. And as we say, sometimes our embarrassment will be your entertainment. How about that? Okay. But join us today at 430. The second thing by way of an announcement um, Really want to let you know about our women's retreat, but first I want to say thank you to the women of our church. Again, part of that whole idea of, if you can go to the next slide, re relearning what it is to be the church, to be the body of Christ. I love that our women are, are really um, moving uh, in that direction and leading us in a lot of ways as the example. One of those things was last week they had a, a prayer time, a prayer and care packages that they sent to college students who came out of this church and or you came to this church and you have a college student, if you let us know about it, if you didn't, um, sorry you didn't let us know, but maybe we'll, we'll try to uh, do a, something on the next round. But this is just our son, Nathan's. He actually sent this to us via text. He didn't know what was happening and he was very encouraged and he just said, man, thank y'all. I just wanna show you this as an example of, of God is using you um, in quiet, hidden ways. Um, several women came and you, you packed some care packages and you signed, you know, notes to them and you prayed for them by name. And that matters. And what's small and hidden often is quite valuable when the Lord, the Father who sees in secret, he will reward and he will use that, those types of encouragement. So that's an encouragement there. And then the next slide, ladies, if you haven't, um, would highly encourage you and request that you sign up today. You can put your phone up right now to that thing. It should work. Um, and sign up for the one-day retreat where the theme is uh, together, a divine idea. God's design for the church to be together. 
and for the women of the church to practice that and to enjoy that and to savor that and to, again, to develop that so that the body gains muscle from your exercise of what God has called us to be and do. And so, ladies, sign up for that. That's November 12th, but um, we'd love to plan for you, so please sign up today if at all um, possible. That being said, um, we're going to move now to a time in God's Word, so let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, uh, grateful for the baptisms that we've celebrated. Um, Just awesome to see Josie and Emma, um, not just today in this baptism where they professed not only their faith, but their commitment to follow you, Jesus, but, but that we've gotten the privilege to watch them grow in you, watch their eyes be open, watch them um, learning from their parents, being discipled by their parents, but also then having kid leaders and now youth leaders come alongside as corroborating voices. What a beautiful picture, Lord, of how you work. Um, you are the one who changes hearts and lives, and we get to also be changed even by the remembrance, um, the rehearsal of the truth that none of us deserves a relationship with you, but everything because of your mercy and grace, Lord, you have bought us with the price of your son so that we might be raised to walk in newness of life, being in Christ. And so I pray that we'd be encouraged. I know that that is um, not an accident that you had that today with this passage that we're going to go through because we need these pictures, Lord, to encourage us and stabilize us and stir our hearts back toward you so that our affections aren't given elsewhere. And so as we turn to other pictures Jesus will give us, Lord, may the baptism pictures get us ready to hear from you and to see these pictures and then to have the courage to allow you to to use those pictures as mirrors in our lives so that we might respond in humility. We might respond in brokenness if needed, or we might respond in gratitude at your grace and mercy in our lives. Ready us now to not just hear, but to hear with the readiness to act on your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today is part two of Jesus' Sermon on a Level Place. That's Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, He gives other portions of what Matthew has in Matthew 5 through 7. He gives other portions scattered throughout Luke's gospel elsewhere. But for his purposes and the way he wanted to arrange it for Theophilus, the man that he wrote to, um, to say, I I carefully uh, did this and put it in order so that you might know for certain the things you've been taught. He wants to reassure a believer who's a Gentile believer who's coming to a faith that began primarily as a Jewish faith, Jewish rooted uh, in its faith. And he goes, hmm, am I an outsider or an insider? I said, no, be assured. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. Those who are on the outside, he came actually to surprise that outsiders are invited in. And often those who think they're insiders actually are not because they have not trusted as these folks did in the, as they showed uh, here that they've trusted Jesus. They have not done that. And so thinking themselves insiders, they're actually on the outside. And so Luke, as part of that, this is his sermon on the level place. Jesus has uh, chosen his 12. I told you that in Luke 6, 11, if you want to take a, uh, open to Luke 6, Luke 6, 11 is a turning point in Luke's gospel. It's actually in all three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They have the same incident in the same location, basically, where Jesus heals a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath 
and the Pharisees and other religious leaders and even the Herodians in uh, Mark's account, they, they begin to discuss how are we going to do away with him because he's messing up our world. We had it nice. It was working for us. We don't like the way he is. And so we have got to now do away with him. That's Luke 6, 11 and Luke 6, 12. At that time, Jesus got away to a mountain and he had an all-nighter prayer time with the Lord to commune with his father, to hit reset, to be reassured himself, if you will, being led by the spirit to do so, so that now, God, I know that the heat has turned up. Now I know the clock is ticking. Now I know that rejection and ultimately the cross is coming. So now I know I need to turn my attention to the 12 that you have for me, who are part of my disciples, which means learner, who are gonna become my apostles. And I'm gonna have to train them up because apostle means sent one, because I'm gonna send them to represent me. That's instructive for us as we seek to live deployed as Christ ambassadors. Ambassadors are sent. They're sent with a message that's not our own, and they're sent to live and embody that message as well as share it. Wherever God has located you, however he has wired you, introvert, extrovert, whatever it is, it's not an accident. God has purposes and plans for you. If you are following Jesus Christ, then you are to be making disciples who make disciples. And now that he's chosen his 12, now he, with those 12 there, he goes and he stands in a level place, probably on the mount, but a level place where he can now speak to a very, very large crowd of disciples. There are also religious leaders there lots because he wants to say, you want to know what God's kingdom is like? Let me tell you. You want to know what those who follow me look like? Let me tell you. Tell you. Here's their attitude. Here's their disposition Here's their spirit. Um, let me also warn those who think they are self-sufficient. Uh, let me warn you that you may not have the end you think you do because you're basing it on yourself. And so that is a little bit of the setting. Um, Jesus has, uh, and Mike took us through the first part, the, the majority of the sermon last week where Jesus uh, lifts up those who feel like they're left out and he warns those who are self-sufficient with these woes. Woe to you who are rich. You know, woe to you who you just, you want to be well-spoken of. Um, he gives these woes. And then he gives the shocking call at the end of the section right before we're going to be in. He gives a shocking call to be so exceptional in love that you are extending God's kingdom love even to your enemies. Choosing to respond in mercy toward others based on God's mercy to you. Be merciful to others as your Father is merciful to you. That should be the stirring within you, God's own mercy, so that it spills out to others. Jesus now is going to give three parables. If you're not there, Luke 6 will be in 39 through 49. He's going to give us three parables um, that give us pictures of what followers of Jesus look like. And really, he's giving us pictures that we are all followers and we are going to become like those we follow. And he's going to warn of pits and hypocrites and the, the catastrophic ruin of foolishly building our lives on the wrong foundation. Three parables are going to raise three questions that really are ultimately going to require one heart-searching question for you 
and me to ask ourselves, and that is this, who are you trusting to lead you in life? Pick up with me in Luke 6. Luke 6, let's begin in verse 39. We're going to see the first parable of blind guides and becoming. It's on the slide. Follow along in your copy as I read aloud. And he also spoke a parable to them. A blind man cannot guide a blind man, can he? Will they not both fall into a pit? A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone after he's been fully trained will be like his teacher. This is the first parable. Parables are word pictures, uh, often that are true to life um, situations. And this first parable is the parable of the blind guides and becoming. Um, And the question you see there, this is the first question, is a blind man cannot guide a blind man, can he? And the way Jesus words it in the original, the way Luke words it, it, it expects a negative answer. The answer would be, no, a blind man, that would not be a good thing. A blind man cannot lead a blind man, can he? And the second, will they not both fall into a pit? I mean, isn't that going to be bad for both of them? The one who's the guide, the one who's the teacher, the one who's leading the other one along? And this is really um, a humorous picture. This is Jesus actually giving um, something that's a comical picture. Um, I think it, what's the Ellen game show called, like Game of Games or something like that? And she has this one where people are blindfolded and they're, they're having to feel their way around. Well, imagine if there was a second one right next, and, and that, that is actually, again, sort of like later this afternoon, their embarrassment is our entertainment. That's what this is. This is a, a comical picture. It's a comedy that ends up in a tragedy. It's something that, man, we could kind of almost belly laugh at the idea of it at first, but then it kind of doesn't work in us as we see them end up in a ditch and not really a ditch, like it's a deep pit. It seems harmless, even humorous, but it ends up in the pits. John Tyson, who's a pastor uh, in New York City, uh, he says that there are two pits of misliving. Now, misliving is not, we've used, um, we've quoted, uh, I don't remember the, the source of this other one, but we quoted a few months back. I thought it was a great phrase. Many of us are misliving these days. And you actually feel that. You're like, man, something's just off. Something, I can't put it together. And a lot of it is the result of misliving. Meaning, I'm feeling my way of around the world blind, or I have the blind leading me as I'm blind, and I'm misliving. Think misfiring. I'm not firing on all cylinders. Life isn't congruent. I'm not living congruent with what I say I believe and who I say I believe God is. And that misliving can pit us out. And can these can be, uh, Tyson says, there can be at least two pits of misliving most of us fall into. First of all is the way of the world, and the second is the way of religion. The way of the world, as the Apostle John uh, in 1 John 2, 15 through 17 says, um, that love of the world, when he uses world there, it's cosmos, cosmos, if you want me to say that, the cosmos, that is not just like the globe. What that means is the world's system, the world's values, the world's values that are seeking to shape and form you and me. In fact, John describes it that, that this cosmos, this world, 
It's bent on influencing you and me to rush headlong after the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. The way of the world, which can be the first you know, pit path, the path to the pits. The way of the world, Tyson says, is the cultural and social practices, I want you to hear that, practices, cultural and social practices under the rule of Satan and utterly opposed to God. And this way of the world is identified in bold print in Romans 1. I call it the tragic exchange. In Romans 1 says, hey, we all should know. We look in creation reveals God, and yet all of us suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And then he, the tragic exchange is that we exchange the creator for the created. So really the way of the world in that Romans 1 tragic exchange is two things. It's rebellion against God, and particularly it's no longer giving thanks. I don't think most of you, you sitting in here are those who are like, man, he or she's just rebelling against God. But I would say many of us can find ourselves slip sliding that way because of a growing lack of gratitude. We no longer give thanks. Therefore, we're no longer rehearsing. Even today is so helpful for you and me. Why? Because I'm having to rehearse my own story of God's grace and mercy apart from I'm going to a, a bad pit. And so we can, we can grow thankless. And when we are thankless, that's an evidence that we are ripe for following the way of the world. And that will go to a pit. Tyson, I love this phrase. He says, the whispers of the world appeal to the self. And that is ultimately what marks our age, right? It's self-expression. You do you. You be you. And there's, part, there's partial what Stephen Colbert used to call truthiness in that. Yes, be who God made you to be, but it's not that. It's you be who you want to define and construct yourself to be. That's what our world is all about these days. So don't let anyone tell you that you can't be this and you can't be that. And our world wants to shape us toward that direction, and it feeds the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. The worldly blind lead the blind into pits of despair. So the question is, who will you follow? Who will I follow? Because Jesus gives a principle in verse 40. I want you to look back there. He gives us a principle that we cannot get away from in verse 40. Read that again with me. Verse 40. A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone after he has been fully trained will be or become like his teacher. So the principle Jesus gives us, gives you and me, is there's an inevitable formation for every one of us. Inevitable means it's going to happen. You and I are being formed, and we will be formed. The question is, to whom are we entrusting ourselves to be formed? Who are we following? Are we following a blind guide, the way of the world? Or the second one, which I'll talk about in a minute, is the way of religion. Many of us in this room could get involved in that trap, but it also leads to despair. The question is, or the, the, what's unquestionable is that you and I are being formed. It is inevitable. 
and you and I will become like the one that we say, you can lead me, you can teach me, I will follow your way. I will follow your path. I will follow your life. I will imitate your ways. You're imitating somebody, something, someone. The question is, who is that? So whoever, whatever you follow, he says, is training you. Jesus says, you will become like, you'll be, when you're fully trained, you'll become like the one who is your teacher. The one who you say, I will follow you. Following the way of the world, in other words, can also train us. Throw up these two slides from James 4. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So you're, you're not just kind of like tolerating you're befriending the way of the world and beginning to live it out. Friendship with the, way, uh, with the world is hostility toward God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. In other words, you can't do both. Jesus says it elsewhere. We only assign it to money, but mammon is more than money. He says, you cannot serve both God and mammon. Or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us, but God gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Friendship with the world comes from association with, tolerating, beginning to live out, and it can train us. Second Peter, the next one, Second Peter 2. Now he's describing false prophets and none of us in here be like, well, I'm a false prophet. And, and we can be like, I can spot one a mile away. Yes, except for this chapter is like chocked full of how quickly we can be seduced by counterfeit, truthiness type teachers and go the way that sounds really good, especially if it appeals to the self, especially if it, if it coddles you, especially if it comforts you. And he says, you want to spot them. And he gives this long description. Think of some of you I know had these when you were teenagers, fake IDs. He gives a fake ID in 2 Peter 2. That's what it is. Here's how you spot them. And he says in verse 14, having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. But notice, he uses a phrase, having a heart trained in greed and then accursed children. Having a heart trained in greed. What is greed? Greed is, I want more. I don't have enough. I want more. And I want, well, if that means I take it from you, I take it. I'm having been trained in greed. Now, he could have used this phrase in his whole list of things. Some of us having been, been tra trained in self-protection. Some of us having been, I'm, this is a huge one that I see constantly with the ages of our boys. Having been trained in self-promotion. Brand yourself. Put yourself out there. Make sure nobody disrespects you. Make sure everybody pays attention to you. Having been trained by that, you will go that way. And that is the way of the world. That is the way of the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life. And it will end in not just a ditch, but the pits, a deep pit. And that pit is marked by despair, anxiety, restlessness, ache. We all have ache, but it's like the ache that can't ever go away. 
He says, it's inevitable you'll become like the one who is training you. And we read this and we go, yeah, yeah, but I, that's not me. I'm not, I keep my nose clean. I show up at church. I put some money in that silver box or text to give or whatever. Um, I've got my beliefs in order. I'm not influenced by the world. Here's one way in which we all are susceptible to the influence of the world. The average American now touches his or her, her phone 2,617 times a day, as some of you put it away really quick. 2,617 times a day. That's influence. Some of us, I, I've experienced these, and I don't even touch mine. Too, I don't hit that number. I'm not trying to say I'm great or whatever, but I, but I, but I do have the phenomenon of that false like tinge on my leg. Y'all have that? Man, next time you have that, let that remind you, like, I want to do 2,616 times instead of 17. I don't know. Just the fact that we do that, we need to understand, you're not just checking your messages. Touching your phone's not bad, okay? You're not just checking your messages. You're being formed by whom you follow. Uh, what is that? Digitally. <laughs> and what you scroll, when you scroll, you need to realize is a carefully curated, sometimes by you, often by the algorithms, which is by others, carefully curated stream that's reinforcing the God of self. That you, you, so important you, and everything that you desire, nothing should be withheld from you. No one should get in your way. You shouldn't ever go through a hard time. You should have this, and you should have that. I'm looking forward to reading a book soon. Um, I was recommended by a guy named Will Storr. It's called Selfie, where he explores the question, how we became self-obsessed and what it's doing to us. Jesus would say, how we became self-obsessed is that we're all being formed. There's inevitable formation because you and I will become like the one that we follow once we are fully trained. Recognize my desires are being trained. My sense of self-concept is being, and self-worth is being trained my sense of what's really important in life or where life will really be grasped is being shaped as I'm being trained. And we can be trained by the world, the way of the world. We can be trained by the way of Jesus. What does fully trained look like in the way of Jesus? The next slide is Hebrews 5. Because, um, again, all of us are on a journey. None of us is fully trained. None of us is fully conformed to the image of Jesus right now. So we're all in process. That's why this isn't a bash you message. This is a call, a call from God to stir in us the affections he's put in us to be like him because he's in the business of making us like him. But notice this first phrase, by this time you ought to be teachers. Take out teachers for a minute. And less, um, I, I don't want you to hear ought like this, but he's saying, and what God's designed you for and the flourishing he has for you, by this time, man, would it be a teacher? Would it be that encouraging friend? Would it be that one who um, 
when they're hit with a decision, isn't waffling as much. By this time, you ought to be teachers. You have need again for somebody to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. You've come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness. For he is an infant. But here's where I want you to get, where I want us to get. But solid food is for the mature. What does maturity look like? It is not, I have the Dallas Seminary doctrinal statement memorized and can spout it to you. I went there. I don't have it memorized, but I know it somewhat. It's too long to know, but what is maturity? Who because of practice, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. The idea here, the Greek is gymnazo. It's a place I don't go very much, but some of you do. What does that do? That builds muscle. That shapes. You actually can be transformed, right? Biceps, triceps, etc., or heart, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Therefore, as the world is, I'm, you can't escape it. This isn't like go throw your phone in the trash. This isn't uh, don't go work in a corporate environment. No, as life is coming at you and other possible teachers and trainers are wooing you, you can discern much better good and evil. What would go to the pit of despair? And what might be that which is God-honoring and flourishing life? The only way is not knowing some stuff. Now, it's not saying don't know some stuff. It's saying take what you're exposed to and what you hear and put it into practice. So the heart-searching question, again, I said at the beginning, we'll keep saying is, if you and I will become like our teacher our leader, then who are you trusting by the way of your practices? Who are you exhibiting that you are trusting to lead you to the life that is really life? Because spiritual formation is habit formation. Spiritual formation is ways embodied. Spiritual formation happens when word isn't just heard, but it is exercised. And apart from that, that word gets snatched away, Jesus says elsewhere. That, that muscle memory of faith and, and walking with him in full trust atrophies. And now I'm susceptible even more. Now we're always susceptible but the heart-searching question is, who are you trusting to lead you to life that's really life? Jesus' vision for you and for me, for his 12 at that moment and others who would follow, is to train us to be like him. To train us to be like him. What is he like? And are your ways mirroring his? Are your attitudes expressing his? when the slats get kicked out from you in life, are your responses like his? This is not a guilt question. 
This is a free us up question. He's come that we might have life and life to the full. That his grace is available not only to save. I'm not pointing that this doesn't save. The saving, he saved before they told us about what Jesus has done. But also in Titus 2, he says, but the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all, but it also is an instructing grace, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. That says, this is a life that's flourishing. This is a life of stability, which we'll get to in the third parable. It's a life that's not so easily influenced or shaken, and it's less likely to end up in the pit of despair. To live in God's world, God's way, is what Jesus is wanting to train you and me to become and to do. That's not easy because not only the the way of the world, is that a path that leads to the pits and easily into disaster, but also the second path to the pits is the way of religion. And the way of religion says, hey, we better be really, really good. Then we'll measure up. Then we'll be acceptable to God. John Tyson, as I mentioned before, he describes the way of religion as the culture and practices under the control of hypocrites. Meaning those who would have influence and in leading you and have one projection, but on the inside doesn't match the outside and they focus on the externals. What, did, what got Jesus in all this hot water and trouble in the, first, the couple chapters before this? He didn't follow their traditions. He didn't do on the outside what they wanted to see on the outside. He said, you're crushing the people. That's why the invitation, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest, resonated with them and resonates with us, particularly in a Bible church. If we're not careful in our carefulness to want to honor God, we can form a crusty, rigid life. And that also is a pit to despair. And that's where Jesus turns our attention. Look in verse 41. The second parable, you can throw the slide up there, is of log jams and fruit trees. 41. Why do you look at the speck that's in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out that speck from your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that's in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take out the speck that's in your brother's eye. For there is no good tree which produces bad fruit, nor, on the other hand, a bad tree which produces good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they give grapes, uh, pick grapes from a briar bush. The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good, and the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. In the first... Um, parable, Jesus tells us there's an inevitable formation that's happening in all of our lives. So who is training you? And in this section, we're not going to spend nearly as much time on this section. He's saying there's a needed introspection that each one of us, he's calling us to do. Now, I don't, he doesn't mean navel gazing the rest of your life, but he does mean as you're confronted and I'm confronted with, we can go the way of the world or we can go the way of religion. Let's beware of those and, and allow him to show where we're not aligned with him and the way of Jesus. And he's saying, um, for starters, this, we all need introspection. 
and he gives two, two pictures. One is of log jams, and the other is of fruit trees. But two pictures to say, hey, for starters, be careful at what you look at. Or for starters, take a good look at your own heart first. He's not saying, and I don't want to hear you as a friend, I don't want to hear you quote Matthew 7, you know, judge not lest you be judged. Meaning, hey, I love that because Jesus tells us don't judge anybody. That is way blown out of context and doesn't hold any weight biblically. And he doesn't actually, Luke doesn't include that in here. But the idea he's still getting to is, again, another comical picture. You're going, hey, I'm going to, let me pick that speck out of, and by that, he means like a little piece of sawdust, like it was in my granddaddy's, you know, woodworking shop, sawdust, little, little tiny speck. When, and the picture is like a two by four is actually sticking out of your eye. And this would have been in, you know, one of our comic strips. The person with the two by four is, you know, can't even get to the person's speck because they keep hitting them with the two by four. Like he's saying, recognize that you have issues. Seek God's mercy and forgiveness. Confess your sin. Be open-hearted before him, knowing you need forgiveness, knowing you have logs in your own eye or asking him to show them to you. And then you might be able to assist your brother or sister. He's not saying don't have discernment. He's not saying like, oh, I don't see that. Oh, I don't, that's not my bit. Like, now some of us need to hear that, like particularly look at the own, your own, the log in your own eye or whatever, because some of us feel like God um, really, really wants us all to go around and be the, the legalism police. We want to, we're supposed to point out everything in everybody else's life. And often, ironically, and Jesus whacks the Pharisees later, Hypocrites, 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 you blind guys. He calls them that. Matthew 23 is just whoo, chocked full. He's saying, you actually are attacking people for the very thing you're doing. That's hypocrisy. It's putting on a show, having a mask, and on the inside, there's rottenness, which is the fruit part. He's saying, basically, you can't help it. Not only is it inevitable that you'll be formed, it's inevitable that our hearts will show in the fruit of our lives. You can think of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, giant. Uh, yeah, I'm going to forget them. Somebody tell me. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Did I get them all? If I didn't, don't take a speck out of my eye. But th- that's also in- inevitable. Like he said, out of the mouth, the heart speaks. He's saying rather than going around inspecting everybody else's fruit, why don't you just allow the Lord to say, hey, I'd love for you to be more fruitful. I'd love to, I'd love, I'm going to prune you in this area. I'm going to lift you up in this area where you're discouraged because I want you to bear fruit. Okay, again, this isn't a guilt trip parable. He's trying to rescue us from the way of religion, of thinking, well, if I do these things, now I measure up, and then actually that will become like, well, now you owe me, God. He says, no, first we need introspection. Be quicker to self-examine than to inspect the specs of others. Now the third parable from this comical, these couple of comical pictures of a blind guy leading a blind person to two by four wood planks protruding from a person's eye. Now to a building project 
verses 46 to 49. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Let's read that one again. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep, laid a foundation on the rock, and when a flood occurred, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house on the ground or the sand without any foundation. And the torrent burst against it and immediately it collapsed. And the ruin of that house was great. This is very pregnant with self-explanation is what he's doing. He's saying, how are you building? On what are you building your life? Jesus calls you and me to examine how we are building our lives. And the foundation is what makes all the difference. Not you being a great builder, not me being savvy, but is it being built on the foundation? On what are you building your life? Again, our ways, our habits, our practices, if we look at them, will show us on whom or on what we are building our lives. We'll expose, we'll show you where you're placing your hope. We'll expose, is my hope being misplaced? We'll show where I think, if I put my life and my lifestyle here, life will be satisfying, will mean something, and so I'm going to construct my life that way. Play that movie forward is what Jesus is saying. And that's his warning. You can be here Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, and nodding and note-taking are great. Please don't quit nodding. I mean, don't nod off to sleep, but nodding and then note-taking, great. They help me listen. But ultimately, he's saying if we're a hearer only, we are foolish builders and play that movie forward. If we only hear and we do not act on it, we do not embody the truth. Ours is an embodied faith. If I'm not loving one another with you, if I'm not forgiving one another, if I'm not confessing my sins to one another, I'm not hearing and putting it into practice. And therefore, I'm foolish. And it will have an immediate, when the, when the torrent comes, and they will come, Life will collapse. The life I've built will collapse. What he's saying here is, not only is there an inevitable formation that we all have, and who are you following? Not only is there needed introspection, but this, if we want to have the life that has an unshakable foundation, it must be well built, which means it must be built on the rock that lasts, and he is that rock. And it's not just, um, you know, Jesus is my rock, but it is, Jesus, you are my Lord. What does it look like today to build my life, to, to rehearse my hope in you? I want to give us two pictures, because the tragic picture of the collapse, go to the next slide. It's two pictures. Yeah, keep going. There we go. Two pictures. The first one is a tragic one. Second Timothy 4.9. I uh, use this a lot in discipleship uh, context. 
Second Timothy is Paul's last letter. He lists some people he's thankful for and hopes, you know, bring my, my parchments and things that are, and people that are important to him. But there's this little throwaway phrase we could miss. And this is the tragic picture of one who said, you know what? I think I've been going the way of Jesus, but now I'm going to go the way of the world. And show the next slide. Paul's saying, come to me, guys, because for Demas who loved or having loved this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. The warning there is this can happen to you. Your life could actually be well built right now. You could be in the process of building. But all of us can go the way of neglecting, forgetting. And we, like Demas, this can happen to you and to me. The second, I want to give a trusting picture. I'm going to invite um, a friend up, and uh, can you, we're going to just for a moment pause the stream, uh, video and audio-wise, um, bodies, okay? I'm saying all that to say, I want you to show that last picture of them, Connor. Um, so they're actually the first missionaries we ever sent out as a church, um, and I won't remember the exact passage, but I want you to be encouraged because we officially started in 04. I think the Birdsells, I don't remember how quickly you got here, but you were here very early on. And um, I'll never forget, I, I don't know the exact passage, whether it was the Great Commission or something, but I want to encourage you. Not only can it happen to you, we can all go the way of Demas, but it can also happen that we can go, today, Lord, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna recommit to you. I'm gonna give you my large yes and then you just map it where you want. Because I remember sitting in Schlotsky's with Scott, me and Gordon McDaniel, some of you know. We sat at Schlotsky's right over here, and he just said, man, we, you know, hearing the message, whatever the message was, uh, the, the passage, and he said, God just wouldn't let it shake out of us. Like, we feel like he wants us to respond and not just hear this. And out of that, God took their readiness, and he moved them to Orlando, and then he moved them across the seas, and then he moved them again, and he moved them again, and now he's beating me. They have six kids. I have five. Um, but what I want you to hear is back then, and it's the same statement. I, it was early on, right, a little bit before this, that we said, hey, we didn't use the ambassador concept as much, but we said we believe Jesus called them to be with him, that he might send them out, and we want to be a be with, send out church. And we said, in fact, we want some of you to walk out those doors, not because you want to go church hop somewhere else, but because you are convinced that God is leading you to a ministry and that's going to cause relocation. And we will applaud that and we will champion that and we will thank God for that. So I want you to hear that because um, they're, they're your first missionaries and they're still faithfully at it, which also is a very rare thing for people to continue in ministry. So we thank y'all for your friendship, for your example. And particularly, I hope he's, uh, they are, the, the Birchels are an example to all of us. What, God, what Jesus is really saying is, will you hear and will you put it into practice? He's really saying, like Haggai says, consider your ways. So I want to invite the worship team up. We're going to sing Cornerstone. It's fitting to sing about he who is the cornerstone, the one who's worthy to build our life on. While they're coming up, would you put up Psalm 120, I mean, 139, Connor? And I want you to stand, and we're going to pray this prayer. 
to help us to say, God, I do want you to help me consider my ways. I want you to help me do a healthy introspection, spirit-guided introspection, so I can know where I'm following to a pit instead of following you. It's a way for us to say, God, right now, restart. Hit restart with me, okay? So we're going to say this prayer out loud. I'm going to slow down. Y'all ready? I don't want to rush you. Okay. Let's say this prayer out loud. You can have it. And then they're going to lead us in singing, and then we'll be dismissed after we sing. Let's say it. Search me, O God, and trouble my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any hurtful way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way.